Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, June 13th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this podcast and this hour with you and hearing your finance and investment questions. And I'm always mindful to give you straight, unbiased, balanced answers. Not here to push an agenda, just to give you the facts as I see them using my 20 plus years of experience, as well as a lot of great data that I use every day. So I can talk about whatever is on my mind, but that's not nearly as important as what's on your mind. And that's what will drive the direction of today's show. Now, one thing I can say for sure is that Today's investing situation is different than what we've experienced over the past several decades. We're starting to see the cycle shift. And there are long-term cycles, we call them secular cycles, and then we have cyclical cycles, which are typically more short-term. That's where the market kind of, or the uh, the economy ebbs and flows. Uh, and what you have seen, what you're, what you're seeing right now is the manifestation of the last 30 years of money getting cheaper and cheaper, meaning valuing cash flows out into the future a lot more than we have in the past. And that means people, companies investing a lot in growth, in technology, in intangible assets, like code, for example. And what you're seeing here is why cycles are created is because people overinvest in one area, they underinvest in another, and then a catalyst hits and boom. Though the years and decades of overinvestment, as well as the years and decades of underinvestment, start to clash. And so the decades of underinvestment in real assets, real production of energy and raw materials. And over-investment in technology, in software, uh, in, in all the things that made great business models, in theory, 
but in reality didn't amount to only, you know, only outside of a few companies didn't amount to a lot of value creation. And now you're seeing those two sides kind of butt heads. And that's why we have higher inflation. And that's why you need to refocus your efforts on making sure you're set up for this type of market. So I invite your phone calls right now. If you're listening live, four to five Pacific time, or if you're listening after hours, you can call our 24 hour listener line at 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson again, trying to build a list of small cap value stocks to keep my eye on and maybe buy into here soon this summer sometime. I'm looking at two steel companies right now, slightly different steel applications. One is called Timken Steel, TMST, and the other is In Steel Industries, I-I-I-N. And I wondered which would be a better buy if, if either was worthwhile company at these levels or if you had a, uh, a good buy-in point for one or the other. Interested in your opinion, which one would be better at this time? Thanks, all. I'll listen on the podcast. All right, looking at TMST, which is Timken Steel, and IIIN, which is In Steel Industries. So two smaller companies, uh, Timken, about a billion dollars in market cap, headquartered in Canton, Ohio, so here domestic, in steel, a little smaller, about $750 million, and headquartered in North Carolina. Now, both are growing nicely right now. Both are in that small cap value space, both in the steel industry. But one is a bit more consistent than the other uh, and has a lot more, has a better balance sheet, and that would be in steel, in steel. That one over the last decade has always had positive return on equity, has almost always had positive free cash flow, whereas Timken, a little more up and down. Part of it is a little more leveraged balance sheet, but certainly went through a rough time between 2015 and 2020. Timken's has issued more shares throughout that time, where InSteel's kind of stayed static over the last decade. So if I'm looking at one or the other, although InSteel is a little bit smaller, I like the consistency there of InSteel and the longer term average profitability. Uh, so, and they pay a dividend, right? InSteel pays about 0.3% dividend, not a lot, but it's something. And they can grow that dividend and they have plenty of room to do that. So this is a good lesson too. If it's not about just what the overall profitability is today, it's over the life of their business, what type of consistency do they have? And I want the company that is, yes, their, their, their earnings are up and down, but they haven't turned negative for a decade. Whereas Timken has. And technically, InSteel is a bit stronger as well. So I'm picking InSteel over Timken. Now, I still would probably go with the larger names in the steel industry. But if you're looking to gain small cap exposure, 
in steel, not a bad one to go. Now, my focus point today is driven by this headline. SEC Chair Gensler has unveiled a plan to overhaul Wall Street, Wall Street stock trading. And the goal is to boost competition and require trading firms to directly compete when executing trades for retail investors. And this is targeting Robinhood and really all the big brokers that have turned into kind of pay for play type of businesses and selling order flow. And the question is, is this a big deal? And what does it mean for you as an investor? So I'll break down that story. Also, bonds. For a long time, bonds were pretty unattractive. You know, even corporates were yielding 4%, 4.5%. You're kind of lucky to get that over, you know, an 8 to 10 year period. Well, that's all changed. And the question is, how attractive are bonds now? And should you start to think about them? As part of your portfolio, should you be upping your allocation? If you're maybe a pre-retiree or retiree. And it's always, as with everything, based on what your alternatives are. Everything's relative. And you need to look at the yield, especially on bonds, as relative to other assets, especially stocks. And we're going to look at that. And then the European factories, European industry, has been reliant on cheap Russian energy. And the question is, how are they going to operate effectively, efficiently, profitably in times like these? So we're going to look at that story. And then lastly, typically in times of market volatility, the yen is a safe haven. Well, not anymore. And we're going to look at that because it's probably the most under-discussed aspect of this this year is the decline in the Japanese yen and what could that ultimately mean what's the end game for Japan there now let's go take a look at the market today it was a bloody day uh follow through from Friday's inflation report and you had another blow up in crypto space over the weekend and just frankly, this shouldn't shock anybody. Uh, this is why I always say, if you're going to invest in crypto, you want it to be 1% of your total net worth max, because the better odds is that it all kind of kinds of fall kind of falls apart. And losing 1% of your net worth, not the end of the world, you can move on from that. Unfortunately, there's way too many people out there that have a large percentage of their net worth in crypto, and they're feeling the pain of being a hodler, right? And so you saw a lot of cross asset correlation. This is a good example of something I talked about a couple weeks ago. When volatility hits, correlations go to one, doesn't matter really what you own. It all kind of goes down. And what was interesting today was bonds went down as well, the 10 year treasury broke out to the upside. And a lot of this has to do with the plan, what the rhetoric is, or, or the thought process around the Fed meeting this week. But what's most important is what the Fed actually says and does. And I think we're getting close to enough market pain where the Fed 
hints at a little bit of policy shift. Now you're listening to Invest Talk, your goal of financial freedom will require information and effective strategies. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, last year, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler told his staff to explore ways to make the stock market more efficient for small investors and public companies. And one of the main things that came about in that process was to require brokerages to send most orders to be into an auction where trading firms compete to execute them so that certain trades were not directed to one particular exchange or another. And one of the big changes that that came out in regards to that is the way that so-called market orders that brokers place or investors place to buy or sell stock. And this accounts for the majority of individual investor trades. Now, institutions like us, we use a lot of block trading and we do limit orders for the most part. And the reason that Gensler wants to do this is to ensure that brokers execute orders at the best possible price for investors. Now, like I said, this is mainly affects the average investor who's placing these market orders. Now, the current rule only says that the, the exchanges have to perform reasonable due diligence to determine the likely best execution of the trade. And so these brokers are routing the trades to wholesalers, Citadel, Virtu, for example, and this is what Robinhood. This is how Robinhood got everybody to move to no commissions, and soon TD Ameritrade followed, and Schwab and Fidelity. Okay, 
And so the Fed, the SEC is looking at making changes here. So we're heading into a quick break. But after this break, I'm going to give you a rundown of what they're proposing, whether I think it's a good idea or a bad idea, and how it will affect you, the ultimate investor who's placing a lot of these market orders. I'm moving to break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. And before the break, I touched on the change the SEC is proposing in regards to how payment for order flow works. And this is how Robinhood and a lot of the brokers are making money now. It's not on your commissions. It's from high frequency traders and um, basically wholesalers that are that they're selling the trades to. And the shift would force them to set, instead of send this to uh, Virtu or uh, to uh, Citadel is to send it to an auction and have different firms compete with each other to fill the order at the best price. And this would seriously change their business models as a whole, because that's basically what they are now. They're wholesaling these trades out to buyers of the trades, and they're making a small penny on them, sometimes fractions of a penny. And that's one of the issues that they're looking to change as well, is to start pricing shares, not just to the penny, but into the 10th of a penny. So a stock might be trading for $51.82.1. Now the current system has really been, has underpinned a drastic reduction in trading costs. So for the smaller investor, it's been pretty good. But a lot of the costs are hidden. Kind of like a, an ETF, right? You buy an ETF, you don't really see the costs that you're paying, but you're paying them. Same with these, these trades that you're making on individual stocks. Now, after a year of internal deliberation within the SEC, they finally put forward a proposal. And it's weighing a proposal to allow stock exchanges to quote shares, like I said, in increments of less than one cent. And this would allow more transparency in pricing and competition between brokers. And they're aiming to reduce the maximum fee that exchanges can charge brokers to access their quotes. So saying you can still pay for order flow, but there's a maximum amount that you can pay for that. And that would change the incentive structure in a big, big way. So it's gonna be hard to go back to charging commissions. I think that's one solution, but people are so used to now kind of, you know, free stock trades. Going back to paying $4.99 a trade, I don't know if people are really going to be happy about that. So it's about finding 
I think a, a solution here that crimps the ability for a lot of these brokers to make a ton of money unbeknownst to the average investor, but also still allow a system where you can, you don't have stock trades, stock trade commissions. And that's the balance they're going to have to find. I think they'll do it, but it's going to take a little while and this isn't going to be resolved soon. But it's something to think about when you're looking at the stocks of a lot of these names, not just Citadel and Virtu, but also Charles Schwab, Robinhood, etc. Now let's go back to the Vestock Voice Bank at 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. I was listening to what you said about Exxon being fairly valued and wanted to get your thoughts on Matador Resource Company, ticker symbol MTDR. Their numbers look good, good PE, good earnings, and chart looks good, and they're in a good sector. I've held this for about over a year now, and I'm up about 150% of this company, even though it's still a small percentage of my overall portfolio. I do, however, have about 17% of my portfolio in energy. Do you have a fair value for this company, or would you hold this for longer? Thank you. Bye. All right. This is Matador Resources. They're engaged in oil and gas exploration and production in areas of Texas and Louisiana. And their business has certainly soared. They only made 55 cents in 2020. That's supposed to make $11.11 this year. But it's supposed to have a drop of down to $9.82 next year. Now, they have been issuing more shares, not a ton recently because they're now nicely profitable. But, you know, pre-pandemic, they were not a wonderful operator. Let's just say that. Uh, so that worries me just a bit. Now, the technicals today, you had a bit of a, a breakdown. But, uh, you know, most of the oil stocks had a, had a pullback uh, today. So I'm not too worried technically. It looks fine there. Um, I would think of it more as a percentage of your overall portfolio. Uh, make sure it's, I didn't see here how much of this particular name is of your portfolio. Make sure it's not more than probably four or 5% of your overall portfolio. I think you said energy was about 17% of your portfolio. I think that's fine. I don't think that's, I think that's right in the ballpark of where you want to be if you're an aggressive investor. Um, so I wouldn't look at it that way, but maybe shift to something that has a little bit more diversity. You know, the good thing about an Exxon is they have, they benefit up and down the chain, right? They're vertically integrated. They have uh, refining capacity. They have the petrochemical uh, facilities as well as their EMP business. Whereas Matador is basically an independent EMP company and it's going to ebb and flow a lot more with the price of oil than Exxon will because sometimes lower oil prices can benefit their refining business, for example, whereas Matador doesn't have that. So think about it in that way. Try to diversify maybe your exposure to energy a bit and maybe focus a little bit more on, on uh, excuse me, on natural gas and find companies in that space. We're headed to a break. I'm ready to talk to you and take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons 
offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hey guys, Mike from California. How's it going? Hey, stupid question. Going to Roth IRA, what is referred to as the maximum that you can put in there a year, depending on your age, is 6500 Are you allowed to put more than that in, or is that like the, the maximum amount you can write off? What are the details on that? I'm a little confused on it. Thank you. Bye. The max you can put in, it's $6,000 this year. If you're under the age of 50, if you're over the age of 50, you get an extra $1,000 as a catch-up contribution. So you can put 7,000 in. Now there are some income limits. So uh, make sure you talk to your CPA about that and whoever's preparing your taxes. 
excuse me, um, it phases out. So it's not like a hard limit. And it depends on if you're married, you're single, etc. But make sure you look up that and uh, it phases out. So it started, starts at six. And then as you get over the start of that, that, that threshold, it starts to ramp down as you earn more. So check on that before you know your full contribution limit. Now let's touch a bit on bonds. I know bonds are boring, but, and they have been for a while with uh, you know the Fed keeping rates low, financial repression for the past decade plus, and bonds didn't offer much yield for many years. But that's starting to change a bit. Now, the 10-year bond and the S&P as of middle of last week were down about 13% each for the year. And then obviously Thursday, Friday, and today hit, and now equities are down a lot more, but guess what? Bond prices continue to fall, which means yields continue to go up. The 10-year today hit 3.36%, which means corporate bonds are earning a lot more. We're getting up to 7% on you know just medium-term quality credits. And that's something we haven't seen in many, many years. And the way you want to look at this is how much, how attractive are they? And I would say probably after today, maybe slightly attractive as opposed to the last six, seven years, they've been relatively unattractive because of the convexity risk of the lack of great yield that you're getting and, you know, taking long duration just didn't make a lot of sense. And for pre-retirees and retirees, you always have to think a bit about bonds. This question is how much should you have? Is it 10% of your portfolio? Is it a hundred percent of your portfolio? Most pre-retirees and retirees should have somewhere in between that number. And in times like this should be thinking about increasing that percentage more than decreasing. Now, the Bank of a, B, a B of A index of U.S. corporate bond yields more than doubled over the past year, from 2.2 to 4.4. Now, that's corporate bonds overall, but junk bonds now about a, on average about a seven and a half percent yield, with still very low default rates. Now, that could change, but for right now, they're pretty low. Even the safest AAA bonds offer well over twice the dividend yield of the S&P. That's the first time that's happened since 2009. And bonds are becoming more attractive in absolute terms, as well as in relation to stocks. And the way you want to look at it is earnings yield. You own an equity, whatever the earnings yield on that equity is, that's theoretically your return. And the earnings yield advantage over U.S. corporate bonds is the smallest it's been any time since 2009. So it's not like bonds are super attractive, that they're so much better yield than the earnings yield you're getting on stocks, but at least they're kind of on par now, where for many years they weren't. Now, both are being hurt by higher inflation, higher interest rates. So you have to take that into account. And default rates for riskier bonds could certainly go up. And that's something to consider. 
And while stocks are down, earnings outlooks overall are not. Now, recently, there have been more downgrades and upgrades. But remember, inflation is actually good for stocks for most sectors, about half the sectors. Which means that's not the, and that's not the same for bonds. Inflation and higher interest rates are bad for almost all bonds. And so you have to understand that risk as well. So what I'm saying here is don't go overboard buying bonds. But if you've been underweight bonds for a long period of time, and that's a rational thought process, you know, we have a called a ba- our balance income with a lot of our retirees, you know, a strategy we, we run for retirees. We typically go between 40 and 60% of the portfolio in bonds. We've been at 40% for a long period of time because yields have not been that great. We're starting to think about, hey, maybe that should be 45 now. That's all. Upping in a bit because it's at least a reasonable, kind of on par with the attractiveness of equities overall. Now let's go to Ricardo in in the City of Commerce. And he wants to talk about Zebra. How's it going, Justin? Going well. You own own it or looking to buy it? I actually, I, I own a small position on it. I bought at uh, 420. Uh, it is now at 293. And my question was, um, should I sell and cut off my losses or should I hold on? Um, holding on is something that uh, maybe you suggest uh, or maybe buying in. What would be also a good uh, point to buy in if, if, if it's a good company? Well, this is an interesting one. Um, because I actually have an alert. Zebra is on my watch list and within my systems, it, I can set alerts. If this gets to a certain price, alert me, it gets to a certain multiple alert me. And recently those alerts have started to go off. It was 300 said zebra gets below 300 alert me. And now starting to become on my radar now at $293. It's down 52% from its 52 week high. Uh, and it's now at a reasonable valuation. When you bought it at, well, would you say 420 or 520? Uh, 420. 420. Okay. So you're down nicely, but at 420, that was decently overvalued. Now we're getting into a level where it's, I would say, modestly undervalued. Our fair value is around 330. Okay. So, you know, that's why we think about these things. You are getting 10% or more over undervalued. I like to, to start to think about it, see how it fits in the portfolio overall, see how it fits in the economic backdrop, uh, and then watch the technicals to see whether it is improving or not. Unfortunately with zebra, it's not, and I'm not seeing capitulation volume. That's telling me people have given up on the name. So I'm not excited about it from that perspective, but it is on my radar. So I wouldn't say, you know, from a long perspective, this is probably a good buying place. Could it get better? Absolutely. Uh, there's, let me, let me find some major support for you on Zebra. Thank you. Just have to run some levels. Yeah. 245, 245. That's major support. And frankly, I think it, it gets, it gets there long-term. This is a very good company. You know, this is why it's on my radar. This is why it's on my list of potential buys for clients and myself is because it has consistent long-term profitability, cash flow. Uh, it's a very good business. 
once again. Cheapish, technical's not there, 245, that's when I would really, really be paying a lot of attention to it and be picking up more. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Dave in Ohio, and he has a question. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Justin. I got uh, I got some stocks that uh, that ran up pretty good. Uh, like one is uh, Tyson Foods. I hate to get rid of it, but would it be wise to take the profit and then reinvest the capital into other stocks that are way down? Just your thoughts and your opinion. Well, that's just it's too general for me to give an answer. It depends on what you're redeploying in. Um, you know, I want to get, I want to say that you want to invest in companies that own and operate the means of production that have raw materials, whether it's energy or commodities to that, that are going to produce goods and services today. Like I was looking at Dow chemical. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's one of those, those, that's one of those companies, right? So I'd have to, I'd have to dig into Dow and, and compare it to, to Tyson. You want to look at your overall portfolio as well. How much ag and food exposure do you have compared to chemical exposure? For example, obviously Dow is going to be, um, more diversified and more cyclical than a Tyson. Now economic slowdown, you know, Dow is probably not the name that you want to be transitioning that into right at this moment. Um, earnings are, are, are coming down over the next couple of years as well. So I'd really have to look at your overall portfolio. So it's hard for me to say, you know, you should sell Tyson and, and buy Dow without understanding your industrial exposure, your ag exposure, uh, and, you know, what your what the tax implications of selling Tyson are as well, if it's a, a taxable account. So a lot of things go into this, but I think both are fine. Both are better than, you know, your, your tech stocks uh, that are still coming down and, and getting a lot of contagion from the crypto space. Um, so uh, I don't mind Dow. Uh, and maybe it's just a rebalance too. That's something that you have to think about that a lot of people don't understand is it's, it's not an on-off thing. It's not, hey, I want to buy, I want to own all that I've ever purchased, or I want to sell all of it. Sometimes it's trimming a, por- a portion of it and rebalancing. Maybe it's just going from a three percent allocation to two, okay, or a six percent allocation to a three. And you can do it that way as well. It's understanding your portfolio as a whole and managing those risks. And that's really what investing is is about too. It's managing the overall risk that you're taking and making sure that aligns with the economic backdrop as well as your longer term goals. Thanks for the call, Dave. Well, if you are paying attention to the calendar, you know, summer officially begins one week from tomorrow. And as you see with volatility happening, kind of the drop of the hat. It means that you need to pay attention every single day and be working towards getting your asset allocation, not just your portfolio, but your total asset allocation of all your 401k, your real estate holdings, your cash, your equity investments, your bond investments, all of that aligned with your longer term goals and to succeed in this economic backdrop where inflation is going to stay persistently elevated. It's not hyperinflation. 
It's an inflationary environment. And the question is, are you prepared for that? And if you need help understanding whether you're prepared, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, headquartered in Irvine, California, where we practice unbiased guidance, both on and off air, and parallel investing, where we invest right alongside our clients. So you can take advantage of a free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP office at 800-557-5461. No obligations. Love to help you in any way. Now we'll squeeze in another caller question next, so hang on. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hey, Justin and Steve, how's it going? I just wanted to give you guys a call and, and thank you for uh, all that you guys do. I'm a fellow financial advisor and a longtime listener and uh, just, yeah, really love the show. So question about Shopify. I know it's a growth stock and I obviously understand the trend towards value. What is a good entry point? Do you guys own any Shopify in your portfolios and how you guys feel about the stock long term? Thanks for everything. Look to hear your answer on the podcast. I love this one, uh, mainly because one of my one of my older best friends, um, he was my best friend a while ago, moved to Ohio, and he, I talk to him still regularly, and he actually runs a Shopify distribution center, and he was intimately involved with Shopify, and he told me how much he loves it, and I remember talking to him about a year ago now, and. He's saying Shopify, anything under a thousand dollars was a bargain. And I just kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, it's not what he does. He does not a financial advisor. So I, I, you know, I, I don't really, I kind of nod my head and smile. I said, that's a good company. You know, I'll buy it when it's a lot cheaper. And he thinks, you know, it'll go to the moon. And obviously now it's at $312. <laughs> and so it's off. Uh, let's see. What's it off? 82% from its high. And remember, what's the stock that's down 90%? Well, it's the stock that's down 80% and that's cut in half again, okay? And that's what I think is going to happen here. Earnings last year were $6.41, only supposed to make a dollar this year. Is it worth $312 per share? 300 forward PE? Even make even it makes $2 a share next year, which it's supposed to. That's still 150 forward earnings with growth slowing, expenses going up. Mm -mm. <laughs> so a below 150, I think it gets cut in half again. That's where I would start to think about Shopify, but not nearly yet. Now, the next invest talk, the story behind this headline, the list of the best states for business activities. For now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. This is Glenn in San Francisco. I wanted to get your advice on what's going on with the real estate sector. 
I bought REZ, so it's the iShares uh, Residential and Multi-Sector ETF, a couple months back, and it's taken a pretty big hit over the last month or so. Hit a new 52-week low recently. My original thesis was that I wanted to be invested in real assets and also that real estate would be somewhat defensive in a potential down market, but it seems to be performing uh, just as bad as anything else. So wondering if I should ditch it or if it's something that you see as a uh, something to, to hold on to for the long term. Thanks. Uh, enjoy the show and look forward to the answer. All right. This is REZ, the iShares Residential Multi-Sector REIT ETF, and it has struggled. Uh, you know, the, the biggest issue is that REITs are interest rate sensitive. Uh, now, longer term, they do tend to do well in an inflationary environment. But when you have strong impulses of higher interest rates, that competes with REITs, right? People buy REITs to get some sort of a yield. And what happens is that when other bond-like vehicles like corporate bonds start to edge up into the types of yield that you're getting from REITs, well, REITs have to sell off accordingly in order to adjust for those, you know, the higher rates across the, the entire spectrum. And so that's what you're seeing here. So if you wanna actually invest in the real estate sector overall, I would actually own ITB, uh, which is the the home builder ETF that's going to be still affected by higher interest rates, but more along the lines of demand for housing. Sure, there's some headwinds there, um, but I actually think it's going to be less affected overall. Um, so something to think about. I like REITs still. Uh, I talked about this last week, um, the sectors in an inflationary environment that do well, energy commodities, by far number one and two, number three was were financials, and then four and five kind of neck and neck were industrials and real estate. Not drastically positive, but still positive in an inflationary environment. So I like the way you're thinking, definitely better than some of the sectors that don't do well, consumer staples, for example, who are hurt by that uh, the higher in input costs in inflationary environment, but um, you know that's what you're getting here. Uh, and there's some market contagion as well, where once again, when the markets, uh, when there's stress and people are getting margin called, especially within the crypto space, people just sell anything that they have, and that's why correlations go to one, including the REIT space. Hope that helped. Now, lastly, I want to touch on an underreported story, and that is the yen, and it's approaching the weakest point since 2002. Now, over the last year, the basket of currencies against the dollar are down about 12%. So the dollar's advanced about 12% over the past year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the currency space, that's a pretty good move. But the yen is down 22% over that time, nearly double. And the reason is because the Bank of Japan has pledged to keep rates pinned at zero, basically 0.25%. While we've talked about raising rates, the Fed, obviously, on a hiking path. Now, the yen is the third most traded currency in the world. 
And it's very important to the financial system as a whole. And Japan is a big buyer of treasuries. And so if the yen is weakening, that makes our treasuries more expensive. And that's part of the reason for the sell-off in treasury market as well, is the dearth of Japanese buyers. Now, typically, a cheap yen is good for the Japanese economy because it's very export-driven, such as cars. But the problem is, is now, remember, Japan is a very import. They import a lot of energy and raw materials and food. And therefore, the weaker yen is making it harder for, for them. But their inflation rate still remains relatively low, only 2.5%. And their core, if you take out food and energy, is only 0.8%. So they're not showing an impetus for a reason to reverse their course. But remember, the yen is a big part of the financial system. And if this continues, that could create more knock-on effects. And I think that's the biggest risk to the market that's under-reported. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can get anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a positive review on iTunes, and with a question with it, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.